was at Theological College, which was a long, long time ago, uh, in my first year, uh, there was a hurricane or some kind of terrible storm in some island, uh, which had malaria, because that's all I can remember about it. Uh, and a group of students during our field placement time, who were all good tradesmen, so clearly didn't include me, uh, went off and uh, spent the five or six weeks, uh, it was either Papua New Guinea or the Solomons, um, working in a village, rebuilding it. And at the end of our field placement, we'd all get together as students and we'd kind of do a debrief and talk about what had been good about that experience and what we'd learnt. I can't remember much about what they talked about, but what I can remember is that there had been two groups of missionaries in that, in that village where they were working. One group lived amongst the villagers in the same kind of house, uh, living the same kind of life. Another group, uh, American missionaries, lived in a separate little area in a separate set of houses. And their observation of that was that that created a barrier between them and the people of that village. Now, those missionaries would have thought that they were living in poverty. Compared to the kind of life they could have been living in America, the houses they would have been living in there, the food they would have been eating, and the kind of income they had, um, they had given up a lot to be in that village. So they would have been very surprised to hear that. But their observation as people living with the missionaries in the village and living the observation of the students and listening to what they were saying, what the villagers were saying was those American missionaries were seen as wealthy. And by living in different housing and eating different food, they had inadvertently created a barrier between them and the people they had come to serve. So why am I telling you about that? Well, that, I think, is at the heart of what our Gospel reading was about this morning. The barrier created by money. It was certainly something that the founders of the great mendicant orders of the 1200s were very aware of. The great mendicant orders of the Franciscans and the Dominicans, or as they're properly known as the Order of Preachers. This barrier of money was something that both Francis and Dominic faced. And in Dominic's case, set out to remove. I don't think Francis was that organised, really. He just kind of lived his life and people joined him. But Dominic set out to create an order where that barrier would not be present. Now, until the 1200s, there were no friars. If you wanted to live the religious life, you had to join a monastery as a monk. And that meant that you would live in that monastery for the rest of your life. And while you as an individual would take an individual vow of poverty, so you would relinquish ownership over everything that you had, you were able to bring with you, uh, in, in women's cases, going to a convent, they were able to bring their dowries, and uh, men could bring uh, wealth with them as well. And that would then become the property of the order. And so those religious orders became incredibly wealthy, and very powerful. Wealth and power generally go together. And that wealth and power was one of the reasons why, well, was the reason why Henry VIII disestablished monasteries in the Church of England. 
He had these very wealthy, powerful little communities that were actively working against the church that he was creating. So he disestablished them and he got their money, which was a win-win-win, a win-win for Henry. It was a lose-lose for the monks, but from Henry's point of view, this was all good. Now, Dominic realised that that wealth and power created a barrier between the monks and clergy and the people that they were supposed to serve. And his concern about that was that in the late 1100s and in the 1200s, there were a number of uh, new, what the official church called, heresies rising up. Uh, And these were created by people who were also poor, who had said, well, look, the current situation is bad, it sucks, so this is what we think. And those people were having a lot more say in the life of those uh, communities than the clergy, who were seen as wealthy and outside of their life. They were seen as people who had no understanding of what it was like to be a peasant in Europe. Now, peasants made up about 90% of the population. So they were were kind of a a significant group. So Dominic said the only way that we can counter this is by having well-educated, well-trained priests who took vows of poverty. And so he created the Order of Preachers, which are more commonly known as the Dominicans. And they were friars. They lived out in the as peasants, as beggars, as the poorest of the poor, living in villages, uh, and they were the ones that would then conduct church services. And because they lived amongst the poorest, as the poorest, they had a lot more say. Unfortunately, the Dominicans were also at the forefront of the Inquisition, but we'll just ignore that part of their history for now. Francis was uh, not that organised, really. As I said, Francis really uh, just set out to live the gospel. And so when uh, he read in the gospel uh, the story of Jesus talking to the rich young man, where Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, he heard that being addressed to himself. And, uh, And so did the early brothers. So those that sought to join him, some of whom were incredibly wealthy and powerful, they would flick through the Gospels, they would randomly choose verses, they almost always were verses about giving up everything you had and giving it to the poor. So that's what they did. That's what God said. If you wanted to follow God, that's what you had to do. So he didn't set out to create an order, but he had to, in the end, write a rule because so many people said, well, that's what I want to do. I want to live the gospel like Francis's. So they joined him and he had to write a rule. So as a Franciscan, those are the readings that we have to take note of. And one of the readings that was quite influential for Francis was the one we heard this morning. Uh, this one or, this, or the version of it in Matthew, which is the one which doesn't have the cloak in it, so you're even worse off. Fortunately for all of us here, Luke is a lot less clear about whether the followers of Christ had to give up everything and give it away to the poor. Sure, some people did, but there were others, lots of others who could keep their money in their houses. And so I'm sure you're all quite relieved about that, as I am. Nonetheless, 
This is a reading that I, as a Franciscan, have to take seriously. It is a reading, as I said to the Tamariki earlier, that uh, Jesus sends out his disciples and he removes all of their safety nets. So the first thing he says is, you can't take any money. Leave your wallets behind. The second thing is, you can't take a bag. Now, some of the commentators say those bags were used by beggars. They were begging bags, and you would put that bag out and people could put money in it. So they weren't allowed to beg. So they were completely reliant on any food and any hospitality that the, the communities they were going into would offer them. They're also told, and this is even harder in Matthew's Gospel, not to take sandals and not to take cloaks. So everything that would protect them from the elements and the road they were walking on, that would keep them warm and dry, they were to leave behind as well. So everything that allowed them to be in some degree self-sufficient was gone. Which meant at that point, they were completely dependent on any hospitality that would be shown to them. Now that, the social rules of Jesus' age actually helped the disciples a lot. The social rules were that wealthy people would have large houses with public courtyards and travellers could go into those courtyards and expect some degree of hospitality. They could expect some food and they could expect some kind of uh, place to, to sleep that would be to some degree covered. So it wasn't quite as bad as it would be today, whereas if we went into towns, there would be nothing, at least there, the rules said, well, wealthy people should be able to offer this. The only trick with that was whether the wealthy people saw you as worthy of receiving that hospitality, whether they saw you as a neighbour. Now, this is something that Wendy might talk about next week. Uh, when she talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because that's what that story is all about. And there was a real possibility that because they were so poor and so dependent that the wealthy owners might say, actually, I don't recognise you and you may not come in this place. There's also the possibility that before they got to the wealthy person's place that somebody else might offer them hospitality. Someone like... I don't know, a tax collector, or a prostitute, or another poor person. The kind of people who kept inviting Jesus to have meals. The kind of people that if you were a good, self-respecting Jew, you would have nothing to do with, really. You'd rather go to the wealthy person's house, because that's where respectable people go. And Jesus says, no, no, no. One of these other people offers you hospitality You've got to take it. And you can't go from house to house. You can't have a meal with the tax collector and say, thank you very much, that was nice, and then move on to the respectable person's house. You've got to stay there for the entire time you're in the village. Might be the poorest person in the village who offers you hospitality. He can hardly feed you. You just have to accept it. You just have to take what's being offered. That would be pretty hard, I think. Now, 
One of the things about Jesus, and I've talked about this, is that he was trying to reframe how people understood God and how they understood themselves and how they understood what life was all about. And a lot of people, then as now, spent quite a bit of time trying to to avert the holy and righteous God's anger and to earn God's love and life. And Jesus was trying to, I think, turn them around to see that actually God was already offering them love and life. And all they had to do was accept that and respond to it. Now that doesn't sound like much of a shift, but it's a huge shift. It is a monumental shift to go from trying to earn God's love to responding to God's love. You don't have to be moral enough and good enough to be good enough for God. You simply have to respond to something that is already offered you. Now that we know is the basis of the Christian gospel. But I actually strongly suspect, listening to lots of Christians, that we have subtly sneaked back into trying to earn God's love. Trying to be good enough to be loved by God. And I hear lots of Christians talk about how they just don't feel good enough. They don't feel worthy. doesn't matter. None of us are worthy, is the answer. That was the reframing that Jesus was trying to do. Now, the minute we stop trying to earn God's love and life, stop trying to be holy enough, well, when we are trying to do that, that kind of sets us up as better than other people. When I feel like I have been, when I have made it and I am holy enough, I can then look at other people and go, well, you're not holy enough, so I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But when I'm simply responding to something that is given to me freely, even though I'm not worthy, I can't do that. Because actually everyone else that I meet is also not worthy and is freely given exactly the same thing. So that's why I think we as Christians have, and we did this pretty quickly, kind of lost exactly what Jesus was on about. And we started setting ourselves up as better than other people because we were in the in-group with God kind of failing to recognise that actually everyone is invited to be in the in-group and we can see Jesus doing that all the time because he kept mixing with all the wrong people all the people that everyone else said weren't good enough and Jesus kept saying well actually they are so he kept breaking all the rules of his society which said who was in and who was out. All the rules that divided his community. The social rules, the economic rules, the political rules, and the religious rules. Rules that defined who our neighbour is and who our neighbour isn't. Rules that named some as worthy and some as not worthy and invisible. And it was those rules that would determine whether those disciples would be offered hospitality by the wealthy people. And it was those rules they would be breaking the minute they accepted an invitation from somebody who was not worthy. By breaking those rules, Jesus was confronting those rules and confronting the people 
who maintained those rules. Luke is clear, as Jesus is clear, that those who follow Jesus were to care as Jesus cared, were to respond as Jesus responded, and to treat all people as their neighbour. All people. Now those rules are still at play today. It would be good if we could say, well, after 2,000 years of Christianity, those rules are much weaker. But I don't think they're any weaker today than they were in Jesus' time. If you read the letters to the paper, they are full of people who maintain those rules and say, these people are worthy and these people are not worthy. Māori are not worthy. We should not be dealing with them. Beneficiaries are not worthy. They're lazy. Why do we have to spend our taxpayers' money on them? Poor people are not worthy. They're just bad parents. They have enough money. They should just get on with it. Let's make them invisible, let's not care, let's maintain the rules, and then we can get on with our lives as we like them. The rules still exist. And we are called as followers of Jesus to continue to break those rules, which I am sure that every single one of us try to do. The trouble is, And this is what Jesus realised, and Francis realised, and Dominic realised. There are things that we have very little control of that maintain those boundaries. And one of those things is money. As I said, as a Franciscan, this passage is one of the ones that shaped Francis's understanding of his rule of life and what it meant to follow Jesus. And so as a Franciscan, this is a rule that I have to take seriously. This is a passage that I have to take seriously. Now, I have clearly not given away all my money to the poor, and I have not taken a vow of poverty. Instead, my vows are to live simply in a spirit of love joy and humility. So for me that means that I have to avoid luxury and waste. Whenever I buy anything I have to ask do I really need it? Do I need to spend this money? Is there a cheaper option? Is there a more ethical option than what I'm doing? I have to stop worrying about money which I understand is pretty easy for me because uh, in the end I earn enough. And our income goes up and down. But I understand that there are lots of people in our community who really don't earn enough. And worrying about money is something that has to happen just to make sure that ends are met. But it does mean that I'm not looking for a job that earns that will earn me a lot more money. That I have to simply be uh, happy with what I earn. And a big part of that is to be like those disciples. To be reliant on God and not on my own strengths and gifts and ability to earn money. It also means that I have to see what I have as God's and not mine. And to be as generous as God is with what I have. And if I'm truly honest, I struggle a lot with that one. It means that I have to try to live depending on God and not on my own resources. I've already said that. It means that I have to live in faith. 
Now, as a Minister Provincial of the Third Order, you would think that I was really good at every single one of those. And I would have to say that I'm pretty rubbish at every single one of those. And I struggle with every single one of them. And there are times that I feel like an absolute fraud being a Franciscan, let alone the Minister Provincial for the Franciscans. Because it is a struggle. I live in a world where money is important and possessions are important and to we live in a consumerist society and it's a constant struggle to not buy into that. But it is a struggle that I undertake every day as a Franciscan. And I think it's a struggle that we all have to, to engage with simply because, well, money is a barrier. It's a barrier between us and other people but it's also a barrier between us and God. When we have enough money, we can become self-reliant. Jesus understood that, so he took it away. He said to his disciples, go out there without a purse, without a begging bag, without a cloak, without <coughs> sandals, and be reliant. So how reliant are we on God? I'd like to just turn around for a moment and chat to your neighbour about what you've heard in that sermon, what that sparked for you, what questions you have, what you vehemently disagree with. Uh, you might even agree with some of it. That'd be grand. Uh, and then we'll move on with her tikanga whakapono in a minute. So just turn to your neighbour and talk for a moment.